3: Like Kobe in
4: the fourth this is the More NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts after a Timberwolves win. Only been able to say that 11 times this year. And I have never felt more like I was lying, saying it. Technically, the Timberwolves did win 107-101 against the Houston Rockets on Friday night. But the weird part is that the Rockets had that same 101 point point total. With seven minutes and 31 seconds left in the game. They didn't score the rest of the way. Houston went 15 straight possessions to close that game out without scoring. 15. The Wolves scored 22 points over that last seven and a half minute stretch. So it was a 22 to nothing run to close the game. I just rewatched those final 15 possessions for the Rockets. And I wouldn't exactly say the Wolves shut them down. Like, I'd give it a. give it a B. I'm just going to run through what these 15 possessions were. Remember, when this started, the score was Timberwolves 85, Rockets 101. First possession, kick the ball, shot clock violation. Second possession, Wood isolates on McDaniels, misses on the drive. Third possession, turnover by Wood on the exchange with Augustine. Fourth possession, Wood drives and kicks to Wall, Wall misses the three. Fifth possession, offensive rebound, leads to a Wall ISO, turnover. Sixth possession, late shot clock, mid-range miss by Wall. Seventh possession, brown spinning mid-range fadeaway. Eighth possession, late shot clock three, air balled by Macklemore. Ninth possession, Wall crazy drive, also air balled. Tenth possession, Wall drive and kick to Wood, missed corner three. Eleven, Wall Wood pick and roll, missed mid-range pull-up by Wall. Twelfth possession, Wood isolates on Cat, it's an ugly miss. Thirteenth possession, another crazy Wall drive that is missed. 14, Wall drives again to the rim, misses again. In the 15th and final possession, Wall drives, and he kicks it off his foot. So they bookended their possessions with kicking it out of bounds. I mean, it was some, the Wolves did some good stuff, but that was pretty bad. It was more where the Wolves, I guess, if you want to say, won the game. They did it more on the other side of the ball. They rattled off 22 points on their... Final sixteen possessions down the stretch, and what I found really encouraging was that it was it was all through Cat. You know, it was either you know his offense through post ups for Cat, um, where he was you know either scoring himself or finding McDaniel's on a cut, or you know or Wancho. Wancho had an offensive rebound off of a Cat post up, uh, you know plays like that. Otherwise, Cat made a couple threes. It was it was a good offensive run. I don't know if I would call it a good comeback but it was a comeback um, after the game cat who had 14 fourth quarter points said it was nothing to celebrate.
2: Well, we won the game. It's great, but we didn't deserve it. We, you know, we, we, we shouldn't feel like it should feel like we did close to enough tonight to even be in the game. But, um, you know, sometimes the basketball gods give you one and, you know, we're going to take it, but we should have, you know, there, I can tell you right now there was no cheering and, and jubilation in that locker room it was a very disappointing night for all of us even um, you, could, you could sense it right after the game we didn't we didn't have that oh we won kind of you know uh, jolly you know we didn't have all of that no we didn't even play music we knew what it was we knew we didn't play well tonight um, you know but tomorrow's another night to come out here and show that we deserve to have one tonight.
3: how did you kind of manage the frustrations from early in the game when it, whether it was not getting calls or just the sloppy execution? How did you kind of try to set that aside and keep your mind clear enough to make that final push? The game's the
2: game. It's, gonna, it's just going to play itself out, you know, just stay composed and, you know, be ready. You know, but I got a chance in the fourth quarter to uh, do some damage, I was going to do my best to do it and flip a switch, and um, I got a chance. My teammates gave me a chance, um, you know, they were, you know, that last eight minutes showed what, the, Know, what this team truly could be when we're engaged and locked in at another level um, it ain't easy to do what, what we did to make them not score for the last eight minutes 22 overrun that's that's not easy and that's not a you know that's not something that happens every day but we showed that we could be a special team when we want to be but you know we got to do it for 48 at least more than eight minutes you know I mean, let's just start with more than eight and then let's get to 48 but we got to start building now uh the foundation and what the standards of this team will
4: be. Obviously, one of the foundations of this team is Anthony Edwards, and Edwards was off the floor for the entirety of that 22-0 run. He was benched to close the game again. And actually, when Edwards came off the floor midway through that fourth quarter, is, is when the Wolves' comeback began. When Edwards checked out with seven minutes left, the score again was 85 to 101. And that's when the Rockets started kicking the ball around. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't think Edwards would have killed the defense. But I thought Edwards' absence was meaningful on the offensive end because then the offense started going through Cat. I mean, if Edwards would have been out there, it probably would have been more of what we saw in the first three and a half quarters of the game where Edwards only had 12 points tonight and it came on four of 17 shooting, two of 10 from two, 2 of 7 from 3 and that's kind of becoming a trend. I mean, since Edwards had that awesome 42-point performance against Phoenix, it's now been four straight stinkers from him. In those four games, Edwards has shot 13 of 40 from 2. That's 33% and 10 of 34 from 3. That's 29%. And statistically, he's regressed back to you know what he was doing at the beginning of the year and actually even worse according to Chris Finch you know this is due to the fact that teams are now you know they're planning for Edwards they're they're being more intentional about taking him away and the reality of the situation is Edwards isn't adjusting to that new challenge here's what Chris Finch had to say about Edwards's performance tonight
3: you know Anthony had kind of a rough shooting night on nights where he's not shooting the ball well what do you want to see from him on the floor to be an effective player
1: you know he's got to go quicker. You know he has to turn corners quicker. He's got to, you know, try to beat the beat the coverage with his dribble. You know, I thought he was aggressive early, but but just because he's not been successful getting to the to the rim for the finish, you know, he can't stop going. Um, you know, we talked to him throughout the game about that. And listen, you know, he's he's you, you do go throw up the type of numbers he's been throwing up, and then not see more more coverages. I mean. In the beginning of the season, I guarantee you at shoot around and game preparation, our opponents were not talking a lot about
2: Anthony Edwards.
1: I guarantee you now they're spending a significant amount of time about how to stop. Him. And this is part of his growth. curve. He has to re- learn to see what's in front of him and then make the next adjustment or figure out how to go quicker before they load up on him.
4: This is a tricky time for Edwards to be struggling. I mean, Malik Beasley comes back tomorrow. That is going to cut into Edwards's usage. You know, a usage he already is, you know, quote-unquote not deserving you know, due to how inefficient he's been on that shot volume. I mean, Beasley's coming back, and he's going to get his 15 to 20 shots per game when he's back because, I mean, it's Malik Beasley. You know he's going to come out firing whenever he has a chance. And, you know, related to what Finch was saying about the teams preparing for Edwards, I mean, maybe, maybe Edwards becomes slightly less of a focus of the opponent's you know, defensive game plan. I mean, we'll see what Beasley provides in that vein, but I don't know. We're going to talk about what Beasley, you know, will provide upon his return, what he was before the break. And we'll discuss that after a quick break.
3: Your company's salary cap is probably tighter and you can't afford to miss on a new hire. Every person you add needs to fit just right. Indeed.com is the hiring site that helps you find quality candidates instantly. So you can do the part you really need faster. Meeting and hiring great people. Indeed searches through the millions of resumes in their database to help show you great candidates instantly. With instant match, you see a list of great candidates with zero weight. Want our quality shortlist fast? You need Indeed. Right now, our listeners get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Bluewire. This is Indeed's best offer anywhere. Get a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. Terms and conditions apply.
4: So it's been 31 days and 12 games since Malik Beasley has been on the floor, and he will come back tomorrow night. So, right, the question's, you know, what's that going to look like? Well, from like a pure counting numbers standpoint, Beasley's numbers have been very bankable since he came to Minnesota. In the 14 games after the trade deadline last season, he played 33.1 minutes per game and took 16.6 shots per game. In his 33 games this season, he's also played exactly 33.1 minutes per game and shot 16.7 shots per game. Last year, he shot 43% from three and 52% from two. This year, he shot 41% from three and 51% from two. 20.7 points per game last year, 20.5 points per game this year. Literally the same. But we got to consider here is the usage rate, right? And Beasley's been around about a 24 in usage last year and this year. Relative to what they've been getting from that position, that's a pretty heavy load. I mean, it's certainly much higher than the Layman's and Akogi's and McDaniel's that have been starting in Beasley's place. We, we we might have a good idea of how big his piece of the pie is but we also know the current way this team has been playing doesn't doesn't quite have that you know space of the triangle I mean to some degree this is going to be you know a square peg and a round hole of what this team is right now but I mean it's not a good team right now so it's important that this square peg is a lot more talented than the I don't know, like cotton balls they've been using to clog that hole over this month. So it should be a good thing. And the biggest advantage, I mean, this team will feel with Beasley's back is just is just what he is as a spot-up weapon. I was just going through some of his numbers on Synergy, and, I mean, he is elite statistically in terms of what he provides in spot-up situations. I, I spliced the stats, so it's for the 54 most high-usage spot-up players in the league. It's the players who have taken 150 or more possessions in spot-up situations, according to Synergy. Beasley ranks third amongst those players in terms of point-per-possession generated in that play type. The only player in the entire league who has been used more in that play type and has been also more efficient is Joe Harris. That's because Joe Harris has literally made 49% of his 300 threes this year. I mean, Malik is objectively an elite spot-up weapon. Elite. And he's rejoining a team who ranks second to last in spot-up efficiency this season. So it's, I mean, you can't undersell how much of an upgrade that is given the current personnel. I mean, his gravity should have a profound impact on the offense. But beyond that, I mean, it's not all just stats and play types. I mean, Malik brings great energy. You know, many of these past 12 games without Beasley, I mean, I, I think to that Thunder game the other night and certainly tonight, I mean, the Wolves have lacked energy in a major way. Here's what Chris Fitch had to say about what Beasley should bring in his return. Coach, along those lines and uh, related to the energy as well, what, is, what does Malik bring in term on the floor that contributes to a more energetic, you know, whether it's the ball movement that you're talking about from the, from the quicker possessions, what do you see that he will bring that will energize this
1: group basketball-wise? Well, I mean, he's more, probably one of our most competitive players in terms of he competes at every moment that he's on the floor offensively and defensively, whether it's trying to gain separation on offense or, you know, trying to close a gap on defense. He's really competitive. He he's, uh, plays with a lot of emotion. I think at times we could use that a little bit more. Um, you know, his, his shot-making ability is, is you know, not only does he have a sh- chance to make shots in transition, which is what we – we're creating some transition opportunities because I'm making those shots right now. The first half is indicative of that. So He'll be able to do that, so that could feed the emotion of a run. Um, and then, you know, he, he has uh, uh, he has the, uh, the, uh, the ability, that is, to make shots, you know, tough shots, too, when you need them.
4: I'm also curious to see what Beasley is able to bring on the other side of the floor, defensively. I mean, he's clearly a superior offensive player to the Laymans, Kogis and McDaniels. I mean, but the Wolves are going to miss those more defensive-minded players being in the rotation, less on the defensive end, right? Like, Layman's solid defensively when he played. We recently saw what Akogi could do in those games and what he did in those games against Devin Booker. And then McDaniels has been pretty great defensively all year and i'm not suggesting that those guys all need to be completely deleted but we're talking about 33 more minutes of beasley you know in the rotation that's going to that's going to cut into those other guys time i'm interested to see how finch accounts for that you know how how is the rotation going to account for less defense the rotation today which i thought was kind of a signal for which direction this team is moving in, um, they didn't have Jake Lehman or Jarrett Culver in the rotation at all. The starters were Towns, Vanderbilt, McDaniels, Edwards, and Rubio. And the bench was just four players. Reed, Hernan Gomez, Noel, and McLaughlin. Even though that's just nine guys, I mean, if Beasley's going to come back and play his full minute load, maybe that's not tomorrow night, but you know, this week, I mean, one of those nine guys are going to either have their minutes significantly cut into, or they're going to be removed altogether from the rotation with Beasley's return. I think just on paper, positionally, the player you point to is Jalen Noel, but I think we would all be pretty surprised if Noel was completely removed from the rotation, right? Like, he's he's been great in Beasley's absence. You know, I would be curious to see if Finch could... Maneuver the guard rotation in a way where maybe he removes McLaughlin from the rotation completely and slides Noel into the backup point guard role, which would create more room on the wing for Beasley to take those minutes. The other option is, you know, the other non-wing spot is McDaniels right now. And I mean, McDaniels started next to Edwards tonight. He was a three and he was awesome. I mean, he had 14 points, didn't miss a shot. So we obviously think McDaniels is safe and going to still be in the rotation. But, I mean, Beasley is going to start there at the three. Or, you know, call Edwards a three, him the two, whatever you want to say. But that spot in the starting lineup isn't there anymore. So McDaniels seems likely to be moved to the bench if he's going to still be playing on the wing. Unless he finally replaces Vanderbilt as the starting four. And I wonder if that isn't the move. You know, maybe not just removing Vanderbilt from the starting lineup, but maybe Vanderbilt's the one who gets removed from the rotation altogether. Because if McDaniels starts at the four, then, and Vanderbilt still plays, then he would be cutting into Wancho's minutes at the backup four. And Wancho's actually been pretty good lately. He, he had 19 points tonight on seven of 10 shooting. I mean, he's, he's nothing special defensively for sure. I mean, he's slow and gets pushed around, but he playing defensive in, defense intentionally. And I think I'm going to go back to what I called, you know, I don't know what it was a few weeks ago, a month ago or something. When I said that, I think Wancho is going to become the starting power forward. When Beasley and Russell return, and I'm going to stick to that. I get not saying what I would do. It's just what I'm, <laughs> it's my call. I think the starting lineup will be towns, Erning, Gomez, Edwards, Beasley, and Rubio. And then off the bench, Reed. McDaniels, Noel, and McLaughlin. I think if Beasley is back, I mean, you just have to be more intentional about defense. And it sounds weird to say that you know, removing Vanderbilt is being intentional about defense. I guess it isn't really, but if you do delete those Vanderbilt minutes completely, the area to be that you have to be extra cautious about defense is the front court, right? And I just don't think. That if you're gonna play Wancho, that you can play him alongside Nas Reed a lot. You know, the, the defense would just be too bad. I mean, you split, you split the baby, you know, by pairing Wancho with Cat in the starting group, and then McDaniel's with Nas in the second unit. I think that's if you're not gonna have Vanderbilt in the rotation, that's the best way you can handle the defense in the front court. It's what I would do if I was gonna remove Vanderbilt from the rotation. That's how I would handle it. The last thing I want to talk about tonight is the standings. Tonight's win was big for Tankathon. I mean, the Wolves, who now have 11 wins, are only one win behind the Rockets, who have 12 wins. I think it's safe to say that it, if it's tomorrow or somewhere down the line, the Wolves are going to pass this Rockets team. I mean, the Rockets are bad. And that's fine. I mean, the odds of the Wolves keeping their pick are the same if they have the worst record, the second worst record, or the third worst record. Those three slots are all the same. You have one, two, or three, and you still have a 14% chance of getting the number one pick, a 13.4% chance of getting the number two pick, and a 12.7% chance of getting the number three pick. That's your 40.1. So the real question for the Wolves in the standing is not if the Rockets will pass them, but if three teams will pass them. So let's just say that the Rockets are locked pass them. Who are the other two threats? Well... Detroit also only has 12 wins, so they're one ahead of the Wolves right now. I think it's pretty safe to say that the Wolves are going to pass the Pistons. So now we got one spot left in that bottom three. And the other threats there are Orlando, who has 15 wins, Washington, who also has 15 wins, and Cleveland, who has 17 wins. The only other teams in the mix are Toronto at 18, New Orleans at 19, and OKC, who doesn't know how to tank, who also has 19. I don't think 18 or 19 wins already is that just boosts them. So they're not, they're just not a threat for the wolves. So I think it's really Orlando, Washington and Cleveland to be worried about for that, you know, for that third slot. And man, you know, Orlando made a strong push at the deadline by trading Vucevic, Gordon and Fournier. They're going to be bad. And again, Orlando, they, they only have 15 wins and the wolves have 11. That's four. That's four games, but that still feels like a real threat. I'm less worried about Washington, who is also at 15, because apparently, you know, they're still trying to push for the playing game in the East. And then, you know, Cleveland. I don't think is pushing for the playing game, but they're all the way at 17, so I wouldn't say they're a huge threat either. If I had to guess, I really do think the Wolves will probably pass Houston, Detroit, and Orlando. I just think all three of those teams are going to be tanking harder. The Wolves only have partial incentive to tank. And really, it's, it's not the end of the world at all if all three of those teams pass them. If, if Houston, Detroit, and Orlando are the bottom three and the Wolves go to the, the four slot, they still have a 36.6% chance of keeping their pick. That's only a 3.5% downshift. That's not a big deal. The five slot, you know, that's a little bit dicier. Now you're down to 31.6. But even to get to the five slot, you know, that would take some major league tanking from some other team, from a lot of other teams. And also just some real winning from the Wolves. That's, that's a pretty big question mark, too. I mean, even if the Wolves go 500 the rest of the way, they're 11-34 right now. If they go 500 the rest of the way, they'll finish 24-48. and 48. I mean, that's... Still not good, but I wanted to bring it up because it's time to start tracking it. All right, that's all I got tonight. Malik Beasley back tomorrow. Same stinky rockets as the opponent. It should be back to back wins. I don't, (laughs) I've said that before this year. The Wolves have never done it. We'll see what happens. I'll be back to talk to you after that one. Until then, I'm Dane. Peace out
3: in the crowd.